Well, happy Father's Day to all of our dads out there and our grandfathers and the men who have been mentors uh, to us in our lives. Happy Father's Day. I hope you're having a great day so far. Um, just to catch you up a little bit on what's going on in my life and Mark's life, I don't know if he shared this with y'all last week or not, but I'll just jump right in. So two Sundays ago, uh, we were not at church. We were not at Martha Bowman uh, because our youngest daughter, Katie, was getting engaged. So anyway, we're really excited about that. Uh, and they are getting married uh, in, in September, which those of you who are moms and who have ever planned a, a wedding, three months to plan a wedding, eh, it's, a little, it's a little fast. It's a quick turnaround. So last Saturday, I was getting ready. I was preaching in our traditional service. And so Saturday, I had been busy with doing wedding stuff, but I kind of settled in. Um, we have a, a, a room in our house. You know, some, some guys get to have the man cave. Uh, we have a room that it's like my study. It's my quiet time place. So I'm in my room. I'm in my comfy chair. And I'm and it's the morning, Saturday morning. And I'm kind of late getting started on, you know, fi finishing up the sermon. But I get to working. I've got my computer out. And I'm typing, I'm typing, I'm typing. And all of a sudden, I look at my little, um, you know, the little um, battery thing there. And it says 50%. And I remember distinctly in my mind, I thought, oh, in just a little while, I probably need to get up and go get my charger. All right. So then I got a phone call. It's the, you know, the, the place where we're going to do the reception. And, and all of a sudden I get into the throes of wedding planning, making, you know, so I'm not working on my sermon anymore. And then I'm like, oops, y'all, I got to preach. I got to get back to this. So I go back to my computer. I'm typing along. I still hadn't gotten out of the chair. We're talking like multiple hours here. And anyway, and then I look down and my battery at 25%. And so in my mind, I remember thinking, okay, in a little while, you need to get up and go get your charger. And so I keep going, take a few more phone calls, emails, do a little bit of sermon prep. And then all of a sudden, I kid you not, so I was kind of deep into it. I'm like in my Bible and my commentaries, and it's like, you know, the presence of the Lord. And all of a sudden, I'm just typing the, my thoughts down on my computer. And all of a sudden, my screen goes black on my computer. I'm glad you get that because I, I didn't. And I looked at my computer screen and I went, it's black. I thought, what happened? I thought, oh no, my computer has crashed. And so then I start hitting the on off button and I start, and so then I just start clicking the t keys and I'm clicking and I'm clicking and nothing was happening. And I was like, oh no, my computer has crashed and all my notes and I've got to preach tomorrow. And probably, I kid you not, I bet it was a good three or four minutes before I'm just thinking, I'm, I, you know, my computer's dead. And something in my mind, I go, oh, you forgot to plug it in. <laughs> the battery was dead. That's all it was. Well, anyway, so I get the charger and I plug it in. All right, let me ask you this. How many, and then we're all saved. You know, my sermon was there. I was able to preach. But let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had a similar experience with your computer, with your phone, with whatever the electronics are out there? Because the re thing is, is these electronics are designed to be charged, you know, to have energy, to be plugged into their power system source. So as we are kicking off, well, I guess Mark kicked it off last Sunday, uh, talking about the best summer ever. And he talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit being just the greatest gift. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of unpack a little bit more what he began. But, but the thing that I thought about the whole thing with my computer and I'm sitting there and I'm clicking and I'm clicking, I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that spiritually, where you are going through the motions, but there doesn't seem to be that life, that joy, that 
energy that that you know uh, that you long for, that you thirst for. So, I mean, for, for some of you who have been going to church all your lives, you know, maybe you've grown up at Martha Bowman, you might teach Sunday school, you might be on different committees, you might be going to Bible study, but there's a part of you that just feels dry and it feels thirsty and it feels like maybe you're going through the motions. It might be that, that really you are kind of sporadic in your church attendance. You know, you kind of pop in and pop out when it's convenient, you know, and, and maybe your faith is, is important to you, but it's not the most important thing. But maybe you've kind of gotten into a rut with work, with family, uh, with the day-to-day, and there is just kind of this emptiness, this thirst, this hunger for, for more, for, for I just don't even know how to put words around it, but you know what it is when your soul is thirsty. Maybe you're in a situation where you've been hurt and you've been wounded by someone that you love, and maybe your heart's been broken and it's been in a really hard and tender and, and tough place, and you're longing for God to come and to bathe over you, <clears throat> to wash over your heart. You're thirsty for his holy presence. And so that's what we're talking today about is how do we how do we navigate that tension between the day-to-day things that that we go through every single day, work, family, broken hearts, bills, all of the day-to-day stuff, and how do we get to that place where we are empowered, where we are filled, where we are being transformed by the holy presence of God. Uh, author that I like a lot, Adam Hamilton, he is a pastor in Kansas, and he wrote this about this longing for the Holy Spirit that we're talking about today, this thirst, this hunger for being plugged in to our power source, if you will, which is the Lord. It says, I think many Christians live spirit deficient lives, a bit like someone who is sleep deprived, nutrient deprived, or oxygen deprived. Many Christians haven't been taught about the Spirit, nor encouraged to seek the Spirit's work in their lives. As a result, our spiritual lives are a bit anemic as we try living the Christian life by our own power and wisdom. I'm going to repeat that last phrase because I think this is kind of the kind of the big idea for today. He says that we are our spiritual lives are often a bit anemic as we are trying to live the Christian life by our own power and wisdom. I was trying to use my computer to write a sermon and my fingers are, are clicking, I'm hitting all the keys. But if the battery is dead, that computer is not effective as a computer. And so that's kind of what we're thinking about is our own lives and what does that mean to be to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And I want to say something here just as we dig into some scriptures, and I've got some, some scriptures that have, have really been transformative in my life, and I hope that you will find them to be that for you also. But when we speak of the Holy Spirit, I do think it's important to realize that this is what we call the, he is the third person of the Trinity. Uh, the Spirit is never referred to in scriptures as it, but he, he is referred to with a personal pronoun, he. And so I think it's important, you know, we we watch something like Star Wars and you talk about the force and, you know, kind of in our, our movie industry, there's all these inter, uh, movies and things like that. But, but the Holy Spirit is not just some kind of force that fills the universe. It is the third person of the Trinity, personal. And so I just wanted to kind of set that up for you there. 
But as we think about this tension of being thirsty, of being hungry, of having this desire for more, I want us to jump into a passage that you have there in your bulletins, and it's found in John. And there's kind of an insight in this that um, I th for me, it, it was, I, I remember having one of my seminary professors, uh, Steve Siemens, he talked about this in class one day, and it was just kind of this, I don't know, it turned the light bulb on for me, and I hope it will for you. So I'm going to set this up for us. So the passage begins there. We're in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 7. John the disciple is writing, and he says, on the last and the greatest day of the festival. Now, what festival is he talking about? Let me set this up for you, give you the background. In the Jewish uh, tradition, they had multiple festivals. They had three in particular, though, that every good Jewish family was supposed to celebrate, kind of like we do Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. We've kind of got the big holidays. They had three big holidays, and during these three holidays, they were to, if they were able, they were to travel to Jerusalem. So they were celebrating what is called the Feast of Booths. Uh, some translations say the Feast of tabernacles. And so what this looked like was is that you might have tens of thousands of people who have traveled to Jerusalem plus the people that live in Jerusalem and what they do during this week-long festival is basically they camp out. So have any of y'all ever gone like to a big music festival where you've got the tents and everything and everybody's camping out? There's a big uh, Christian uh, uh, festival up in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky called Ichthus. People come from all over the, you know, the southeast. They pitch their tents. It's a great festival. It was kind of that same idea. Uh, maybe Woodstock, but without all the, you know, that kind of thing. So, but anyway, basically, if even if you lived in Jerusalem, you basically moved out of your house for the week and you camped out. So they would build like these temporary shelters. Now, why did God want them to travel to Jerusalem and to basically have a week-long camp? out? Well, here's the reason. Because he wanted them to remember what he had done for them when they went through the wilderness. He told, he told Moses in Leviticus, he said, when you get to the promised land, he said, I want this to be a permanent ordinance for the people of God that they would once a year, that they would basically celebrate this festival, this the Feast of Booths, if you will. He said, because what's going to happen when you're in the wilderness, and y'all, I'm kind of, these are my words, but I'm kind of adding to the words of Moses. But basically, here was the idea. He said, right now, y'all are in the wilderness. And he said, you are living in temporary shelters. You are living in tents. And you are completely dependent on me for your water, for your food, for your protection. And it is easy to remember God and to cry out to God when times are hard. But when you come into the promised land and you are going to live in homes that you've built, you are going to have crops, you are going to have an abundance, I am afraid and worried. And I know people, I know humanity, there is this tendency to forget that God is the one that gives you all these good gifts. So he said, I want you to celebrate this festival in remembrance and to remind yourselves every generation that I am the God, I am the one who delivered you, and, and so that you might remember and be, give thanks and to love me only. So that is the backdrop. So here they are. They're, they're in this, this week-long camp out. There's tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem. One of the things that they did as well, because this was a, a celebration to give thanks to God, 
God, how he provided water for them in the wilderness, and how currently he provided water for their crops and everything. So one of the rituals was that the priest would take this big golden pitcher, and what the priest would do is, so in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount is up here on this high hill. Down at the bottom, there's this main road that goes down to the bottom of the hill, and there was a pool down there. So a part of this festival, and y'all, this really is going to make sense here as to this scripture, but anyway, the priest would take this golden pitcher, he would dip, he would fill it with water, and then they would begin this procession up the hill, up to the Temple Mount. People would be singing, they would be dancing, this big festival, and then he would pour the water out on the altar. They would do this for six days. It was kind of the thing that you did, you know, during your, during your week-long camp out. It was on the last day of this festival. Have y'all got the picture in your mind? Jesus is at the temple there, and he stands up, and he says in a loud voice, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You see the water, the whole, the whole festival has been around the, around the water, the camping out, God providing water in the wilderness. And if you want to read in between the lines, it's like you are giving thanks that God gave you water in the wilderness, that God's giving you water for your crops, and you're praying for, for rain for the upcoming year. But it's not water that you need. That's not the only thing. There's a soul thirst. There's a soul thirst, a thirstiness, an emptiness. And I come to give you what will satisfy that thirst. He says right here, and, and if you've got your pens, you might want to like underline some words there that just kind of jump off the page to me. He says, let anyone, let anyone. You know, the Hebrew people, they were told and they knew that they were God's chosen and they were, and God used them, used the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, to be the people that were, you know, the, the community that Jesus were, was born out of, if you will, the one that God gave the Ten Commandments to and so many great things. But Jesus is expanding the mission here. He is saying, the good news that I have, it is for anyone. It doesn't matter, you know, back then, if you're a Canaanite, if you're Greek, if you're whatever your nationality is, this, this water that you're thirsting for. It is for anyone. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free, if you're, if you're white, if you're black, if you're old, if you're young, a woman, if you're wealthy, if you're not wealthy. It doesn't matter because the good news, this, this Holy Spirit that I'm going to be, the Holy Spirit that I'm talking about here, it is for anyone. But here is kind of the, here's the criteria, is you have to be thirsty. You have to be longing. If anyone who is thirsty... You know, sometimes we don't even know that we're thirsty, but I think it, it, it manifests itself in chronic anxiety, chronic depression, uh, family uh, friction and drama, uh, dissatisfaction at work, this, this emptiness that sometimes we feel. Um, I think that sometimes we don't even know what it is that we're thirsty for, but y'all, we're thirsty for Jesus for his Holy Spirit. He says, if anyone who is thirsty, and then here's the invitation, come to me. You know, we, we come to church. We hopefully, I hope every single one of y'all read your Bibles. I hope you're involved in a small group. I hope you serve. But this can just become the rhythms, the motions, the religion of our faith. He says, it's not about that at all. It's about that sweet relationship where you come to me, a personal 
relationship with me. You're not hungry and you're not thirsty for, um, I don't know, just more of this uh, to do more, if you will, but it is this sweet relationship. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so here is the promise. The invitation is to anyone. The path is to come. The, the person is Jesus. And he said, and when that happens, he said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, this is interesting because if you're following along, you might ask the question and say, but wait, wait, I would have expected Jesus to say, but rivers of living water will be poured into you and you will no longer be thirsty. But that is not what he said. He said that if you come to me, you're thirsty and you drink. He said these rivers of living water will flow from within you. The idea is that God will fill you. And out of that abundance, you will fill others. I remember when I had first become a Christian and uh, I was at Ole Miss and God was a freshman in college and God was getting a hold of my life. And I remember um, coming home uh, one weekend. I had been, um, you know, off at school for, I don't know, six weeks or so. And, but anyway, it came up, I came home. And, uh, and I remember kind of towards the middle of the weekend or whatever, my mom and my dad sat me down. And I was like, oh, I've been trying to be so good. And, you know, I think I'm about to get in trouble again. And because uh, and, I've stayed in trouble a lot when I was in high school, just saying. <laughs> anyway, that's another story for another day. But anyway, but I was like, I mean, I've said yes, ma'am. I've said no, sir. I've made my bed. I mean, I'm trying to do everything right. I'm getting in trouble again. That's what it felt like. But I remember they sat me down and, uh, and I remember my mom looking at me and she said, so what's going on? And I said, what do you mean what's going on? And she said, you're different. Something has changed. And I, she said, when you're nice. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, she said, tell us what's happening in your life. And I began to talk to her about how Jesus had been calling me. He had been convicting me of my sin. I'd been going to Bible study, and I'd been reading my Bible, and I was really trying to live the life that he wanted me to live. What did they notice? They noticed that Jesus had called me, that I was thirsty, and hungry and longing. There was an emptiness in my soul. I had come to him. I had been drinking from the fountain of life. And his, his Holy Spirit was filling me that that river of living water was touching the lives of those that were in my sphere of influence. My parents could tell the difference. This is the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he says, because at first he's talking about water, but he's going to unpack it just a little bit more. And he says, by this he meant the Spirit. And he gives us, he gives us kind of the, 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 uh, the key there. And he says, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Because at that point, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not been glorified. As you continue in the Gospel of John, we read about the arrest of Jesus. We read about uh, his, his uh, beating, the um, you know, going before Pontius Pilate. We read about the crucifixion. We read about the resurrection. Now, let's move to that Easter morning. And Jesus appears to his disciples. And John describes it in this way. He's come into the room. You've got the passage there in your bulletin. And he is meeting. He's revealed himself as the resurrected Savior. He's revealed himself to the disciples. And he says there in verse 21, it says, And Jesus said, 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the promise that he had promised back at the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. But the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be thirsty, it is to be longing. It is to want it more, to want more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit, more of the things of God than anything else in this world. And I believe that as we come to Him, we ask Him to pour out His Holy Spirit to fill us anew. That that is when we receive this this river of life, as you will, and it washes over our soul. When you look at this passage here in John twenty. I think one of the things that we often focus on as a church, as here at Martha and also, you know, um, the church universal, Jesus, I mean, the, yeah, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you as the Father has sent me. And this is, we think of this as the great commission that we're called to go into all the world. Our youth uh, went to Tijuana, Tijuana, Mexico this past week. And uh, I heard from Liz Hammock that they arrived safely home last night. So Griff and LC and the kids have all gotten back. Martha Bowman is a church that goes. Martha Bowman is a church that is in ministry locally, nationally, internationally. This is one of the most mission-focused churches that I have ever had the privilege of being a part of. But here's the thing, y'all. If we just go, but we don't look at the two phrases that come before and after this great commission here, he says, one, peace be with you. Let my peace be in your heart. And then he says, you know, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he says then that he breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit. As we think about going into all the world, trying to do what Jesus has called us to do, if we try to do it on our own effort, if we try to go without being filled first with, with the Holy Spirit, we are going to be tired, we're going to be full of anxiety, we're going to get burnt out because we're doing it in our own strength. It's like me trying to type on my computer, and I'm just, you know, my fingers are working, I'm clicking, everything should be, you know, be working. But because I'd run out of, out, of, out of energy, because I'd run out of battery, it was just nothing was happening. And that's the same thing. We can try to do all the things, but until we come to him, we are filled with him. We sit in his holy presence. We cry out. We're thirsty. That's when he gives us this life-giving water, this presence of his spirit that then allows us to let that flow out to those who are in our sphere of influence. John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist, not the founder of the Methodist movement in the, uh, over in England back in the 1700s, which is kind of where the United Methodist Church uh, points to as our, our beginning, our founding. When John Wesley looked at the Church of England, and then he, back in the 1700s, and then he read about the church in the book of Acts. He saw this wide gap between this church where, you know, thousands of people were getting saved and there were miracles and this radical generosity in Christianity. And then he looked at the church of England, and what he said was, he said, it's not that the Holy Spirit is not moving and doing things the same way that he was back in the first century. 
He said, it's because we've become cold and lifeless and we are now focused on a religion rather than this relationship. And Wesley believed very passionately that a, a, a New Testament church should, should look very similar to the church that we read about in the book of Acts. And it is this hunger and this longing and this willingness to kind of practice this radical, uh, if you will, you know, Christianity, this radical submission and yielding to God. I think sometimes that that is what is missing. Wesley talked about what it would look like in the local church. What should it look like for the Holy Spirit to be present? And he talked about many things, but four of the things that when we read Wesley's sermons, we read his writings, there are four things that he just kept cycling back over and over and over again. And Joseph is going to put these up on the bulletin, I mean on the, um, on the screen there. But the first one is that Wesley believed that when the Holy Spirit was present in, church, in a church, in a body of believers, in your life, that the Holy Spirit would convict us of our lostness and our sin. Um, I've probably told this story again, but it just was, you know, kind of when I came to Jesus. But I remember I was at Ole Miss, and I had been, um, some of my uh, friends had invited me to a Bible study, and I had been going, and God had kind of been getting a hold of my life and my heart. And I remember there was a, a party that weekend, and um, and I wanted to go, but I kind of was, you know, struggling. Do I, do I go? Do I not? And I had, a, uh, you know, somebody had asked me out. And, um, and I remember thinking, well, I'm supposed to pray and ask God, you know, am, you know, for his direction in my life. But I remember, maybe it was a Monday, and I got up and I had my quiet time and I said, oh, Lord, I really want to go to this party this weekend. Uh, can I go? Can I say yes to the, to the guy that's asking me out? And I distinctly, I mean, I distinctly felt the Holy Spirit say, no. And I was like, oh, I really want to go. So anyway, so I go the day. Next morning, I'm having my quiet time. And I think, you know, kind of like your parents, you can ask God a second time. He might change his mind. We see some examples of that in the Old Testament. So I remember I prayed, and I asked him again. It's like, I really want to go to this party this weekend. I'm really going to do all things good and right. And I, and I just distinctly felt the Holy Spirit say, no. And I was like, ugh. So Wednesday morning, get up, have my quiet time, ask the same question again. Y'all, I'm not making this up. I mean, and it's not like God speaks to me all the time, but sometimes you just know. And I, But anyway, but it was like I'm having my quiet time, and there was nothing. There was nothing. And it was like, ooh, God's changed his mind. I can go. And so I remember calling up the guy that had asked me out, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go this weekend. So we go. It's Friday, Saturday night, I don't remember, and, uh, you know, there's, there's all the stuff, and, uh, but I remember, I mean, y'all, if you could see the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is compared to a wind, and it's the idea that you can see, you know, the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind, but you know it's there, but if you could have seen the Spirit of God, it was like, it was a cloud that just came over me, and I came under so much, I mean, I felt like I had just so disobeyed God, because it was like, he told you not to come here. And I remember just like walking out and leaving. And, uh, and my date came and found me. And he was like, okay, yeah, you, we'll see you like never. But anyway, <laughs> but why did that happen to me? Why did that happen to me? I am completely assured that it was because my grandmother was praying for me every single day for the Lord to do a work in my life and to bring me home to him. I believe that. And so Wesley believed that that should be the normal, nominative experiences that, we, that a church should be seeing happen when we are crying out and praying for the Holy Spirit. The other thing that he said is that the Holy Spirit provides us with the miracle of the new birth. 
worth. There really is. Uh, you know, it's not just about going through the motions, but it is about asking Jesus to come into your heart. And to, John talks about this in his gospel, that we are born again. We are born anew. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit that does that transformation in our heart. The third one there is that the Holy Spirit provides us with assurance of our salvation. That is that peace and that knowing that you are a child of God. And if you don't have that, oh my goodness, I pray that for you. I hope that you'll come and talk to Mark, talk to me, talk to Liz. We would love to pray with you until you have that assurance that you are a child of God. And the last thing here that Wesley believed that we would see happening in our churches if we were really crying out for the Holy Spirit and thirsty for him is that the Holy Spirit would be transforming us into the image of Christ. That it is this ongoing daily experience where our lives should be a portrait of Jesus. You know, Jesus is not here walking on this earth anymore but we are, and it is our hope and prayer. It's kind of the way it's supposed to be that we would be a reflection of him to the world so that those that don't know him might taste and see and experience this river of life that flows out of us. So my question for you and my question for me is, are we thirsty? Are you thirsty? Do you want to say, Lord, I want to put aside anything anything that would get in the way between you and me. I ask you to fill me anew. I want us to close with, with this prayer here, and I've asked Joseph to, to put it on one of the slides. But I want us to, to maybe just as we think about this week, I want to give you all a seven-day challenge, a seven-day challenge. I want to invite you, and, and I've been doing this this last week, and I, but I want to invite you to pray this prayer for the next seven days to pray this prayer for the next seven days. And uh, we're going to pray it together here out loud in just a minute. But what I want to invite you to do is in the morning when you wake up, maybe before, you know, you maybe before your feet hit, hit the ground, it might be when you have your quiet time, uh, but sometime before you've got into the busyness of the day. You know what I'm talking about? There's this point where, for me, I'm just full on. and uh, But there's the, the sweetness of the morning. I want you to pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray it together. I want to invite you to fill me anew. In other words, ask him. Tell him you're thirsty. Fill me anew. I want you to form me. Form me into your image today that I might be a portrait of you. I ask that you would empower me. Lord, there are things that need to get accomplished at work today. There are things that need to get accomplished at church. Um, there are people that, you know, I know are far away from you. I want to have a conversation with someone, but I'm just a bit nervous. Whatever it is you're asking the Lord for, ask him to empower you. Ask him that he would lead you, that he would guide your day. And thank him for his work in your life. And ask that he would help you to be attentive to his promptings today. Imagine if everyone here in this room prayed this prayer, not as a rote, just kind of like la, 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 but you really prayed this passionately with all your heart. I wonder what a difference it would make this week, this week here in Macon, Georgia. Who knows? Who knows what God could be up to as we cry out to him for more of him? So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads. Well, I guess we have to keep our eyes open because we have to pray this. But anyway, I want to invite you just to put your hands like this, maybe just there in your lap or if you want to lift them up a little bit. And I ask that you would join me in praying our prayer. Holy Spirit, 
I invite you to fill me anew, to form me, to empower me, to lead me. I thank you for your work in my life and ask that you would help me to be attentive to your promptings today. Amen.